there and have Philip or Andrew one one to you. And tonight I thought we would just do a Bible study. Uh, not that I know anyone who's thinking about fainting, but uh, uh, the idea here is one that we need to review on occasion. There's many times one of the devil's greatest tools is discouragement. And of course, every time I use that word, I think of old brother Ray Nielsen and his definition of that word was forgetting who God is. Uh, and really and truly, that's what happens. And the, the word faint uh, simply means, uh, this is the Oxford English Dictionary, uh, to lose heart or courage, to be afraid, to become depressed, to give way. Uh, it says now only archaic after biblical uses, meaning that uh, the Bible is still current in its use of the word faint, but that idea of to lose courage is not modern. The idea of faint, to become faint, to grow weak or feeble, to decline or to fall into a swoon, those are the modern uses. Uh, someone will say, well, I just fainted or she fainted, meaning that fell down on the ground, fell, uh, became unconscious. But uh, the earliest and uh, most complete meaning of the word just simply means to lose heart. And how many times have you been tempted to do that? To just take a break from serving Christ. That's, that's what fainting is. And uh, it's mentioned several times in the New Testament. Usually, the word not or nor is attached in the negative. That we are not to faint. We are not to give way. We are, uh, this is God's command. This is God's ideal. The, the first place it was used in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 15. And, and Jesus told the disciples there uh, that he would not send the multitude away because they had been with him for three days. They hadn't eaten anything. And if they should try to get home without any nourishment, they would faint on the way. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, very few times in my life have I gone three days without food. Uh, uh, that's uh, not a normal occurrence. Normally, you're either very sick or sometimes spiritually you're fasting. Uh, these people were giving up their food to hear Jesus preach. Now, that's quite uh, uh, an interesting thought that everybody had just not thought about food for three whole days. Uh, that's not normal. But uh, when Jesus is there, that just might be normal. Amen. And uh, the apostles uh, were then given orders to feed them. And, of course, Jesus miraculously provided. And, and so the summary here is the idea of fainting is losing your ability to continue in your service for God. Quitting. Uh, I think it was the famous uh, New York Yankees coach, Yogi Berra, that said, winning isn't everything, but losing is nothing. And uh, uh, there's an awful lot of truth in, in that statement there. Uh, you know, when we serve Christ, 
Do we have any excuse for quitting? There, there isn't one. But how many people do you know that have fainted? Step back. Say, I, I can't do that. And, and uh, I remember the, when I was in Bible college, there was a, a great uh, many preachers there that would come in and preach chapel services on don't quit and don't burn out. And don't, well, uh, burnt out, rusted out, worn out, you're still out. Uh, that's fainting. All of those things qualify for this thing called fainting. And tonight I'd like for us just to walk through the Bible and walk through our New Testament and look at these passages where we're told not to faint, how not to faint. God gives us some things that will help us when we are down. You know, uh, Sometimes people get the idea that Christianity is just one step higher every day. And we certainly want to get out of the pattern of one step forward and two steps back. Amen? You're not going forward that way. Uh, You're still progressing backwards ever so slowly. That's not the goal of the Scriptures. But Let's just go to Luke chapter 18, if we can. Luke chapter 18 in your Bibles. And Jesus has a parable here. And he tells us right from the beginning the purpose of the parable. And he spake this parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So, you want a protection from fainting. Learn how to pray. Prayer is the answer. How many of you have looked around in recent history at all that's going on in American politics and have just had to sigh and say, what a mess. You know what the answer is? Pray. That's exactly correct. The answer is praying. What keeps you from quitting? It's understanding that God is still on his throne and God is still capable of getting things done in spite of fill in the blank. President Trump, the Democrats, the Republicans. Uh, We have a mayoral uh, primary Tuesday. Uh, I hope you, uh, if you're a citizen, that you uh, are aware of the candidates. I don't. I think it, I know there is a Democratic primary. Uh, I'm not sure if there's a Republican primary or not. And so you can go to vote.nyc and they'll give you all that information there. Uh, It's too late to register to vote if you're a citizen in that election. But if you are concerned and you're not registered for the general election in November, I'd get that taken care of as soon as possible. So let's read the story here. And verse 1, we'll just get it again. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in the city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, 
lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with him? Them I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now, do you get what Jesus is saying there? He says, God is going to avenge them speedily. God is certainly a better person than this unjust judge that was uh, uh, given to us. He did not fear God. He did not fear man. The only person he was interested in was himself. Sounds like he'd fit in really well in our modern day society, doesn't it? And and, uh, he was... Uh, given responsibility, and this widow woman says, avenge me of my adversary, I've been done wrong, I want you to make this right, and he says, go away. Next morning, guess who's back? The widow woman. And who's back? And who's back? And he finally says, she's going to weary me, and then I'm going to do something that I'm going to regret. So let me take care of this problem. And he said, hear what the unjust judge saith. Now, that's an unjust judge. Now, why do we treat God in our prayers like this widow woman treated the unjust judge? That's the question Jesus is answering. There are some people that they pray and they pray and they'll say, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and God doesn't answer. Forget it. I quit. Fainting. How many of you understand that God's watch is not synchronous with yours? How many could say amen to that? Aren't you glad that God does things in His time and not your time? Aren't you glad that God is in control and we don't have to be? You know, prayer does not change God. One more time, if you don't mind hearing it again, prayer changes us so that God can do what he wanted to do in the first place. Prayer will keep you from fainting. Putting your faith in God will keep you from quitting. It will give you something to do rather than agita, ulcers, Acid reflux, all those wonderful things that sometimes uh, we gel up in our own body and our own system because we just get worked up about things. You know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to pray. And in praying, what do we do? We turn that situation over to God. How many of you have just tried to let go of something And it keeps coming back. Well, that's what prayer is for. Is we keep praying. And we keep going. And understanding that God will avenge. And it it asks this question. When Jesus comes back. Jesus is asking this question. He says, when I come back, am I even going to find faith on the earth? What he's saying is, is everybody going to quit? 
There were several times where Jesus asked questions like that. Remember John chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000 and, and that great discourse with the people who were searching. And finally, Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they go, you you got to be crazy. And Jesus said, listen, I'm not talking about physical things. I'm talking about spiritual things. And many left Jesus because of that. This is a hard saying, they said. And Jesus looked at the disciples and said, are you going to go away also? How many of you remember what Peter said? To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Don't give up on God. That's how you don't faint. Amen? That's the first part there. Of not fainting. And we do get discouraged. Let's turn to the book of Second Corinthians. And twice in this chapter, uh, we are told not to faint. And uh, there's, uh, there's so much in this chapter. And we've, we've touched on certain portions of it here of late. And, and so I don't want to uh, repeat everything. But I want us to start in verse 1 of Second Corinthians chapter 4. It says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. And so Paul says, listen, we have a ministry and we've received mercy. Those who uh, try to treat people, psychologists and psychiatrists, one of the things that they will tell people who are suffering from depression is uh, you need to go do something. You need to find somebody to help. You need to uh, volunteer. And, and you, you, you cannot just sit in your room staring at the walls. You've got to go do something. Well, can I ask you a question? What is ministry? You see, the psychologists and psychiatrists aren't wrong about everything. Only Harold Camping was wrong about everything. Uh, he's the only guy I know. Not even the Pope is wrong about everything, but Harold Camping, he, he just did a pretty good job of it. I, I don't know anything he was right about. Uh, but, listen, we get back to our subject here, and it says we have a ministry. Now, as a pastor, one of my titles is minister. And sometimes people say, well, what is your job? Well, I'm in the ministry. And I knew a preacher that did that when he filled out his passport to India. And he put down occupation minister. And whoever was reading his passport in India said, minister? Oh, and he's thinking of the ministry of labor, the ministry of... The department, uh, government departments. And so he said, man, I got the red carpet treatment and I, and, uh, I'm sitting there going, yeah, yeah. Uh, what if you just put preacher down? Uh, they probably wouldn't have let you in the country, right? Uh, but ministry is serving one another. Now, what is the ministry that we have? Well, the Bible always explains the Bible, right? So let's look here, go back a couple of verses here to verse 16. 
It says, nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with an open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, if we took time to do the entire context, Paul is talking about the blindness of the Jewish people to understand their own scriptures. And that's what he's talking about, the veil. He's talking about the veil that Moses wore and the veil and connecting that to the veil that was in the temple and talking about how that these things were covered. They were not understood. But when we turn to the Lord, that veil is taken away and we see God's glory. And when we see God's glory, what is the first thing we're faced with? Our sinfulness, isn't it? Our failures. Yeah, I, I don't know how to, to get us past. Uh, I mean, it's something you have to fight against every day. This whole society in which we live is permeated with two words. Me first. Everything's about me. It's all meant to, I mean, how many of you have ever tried to mobile order at Starbucks? Good night. You have about 400 options with your cup of coffee. If you count everything there, I mean, it is just, uh, you know, what kind of sweetener? There's 10 different kinds of sweeteners that you can have in your coffee. Now, how much cream do you want? You can have non-fat milk and coconut milk and almond soy milk and soy, uh, uh, just... It's almost beyond my ability to do. I've got two or three little things that I just hit the button and said, reorder. Uh, uh, We have everything is about our comfort. We turn on the air conditioning, somebody's too cold. Somebody else is sweating. Uh, We turn off the air conditioning. In a few weeks, we'll have the heat back on. And uh, somebody say, oh, it's so hot in here. And what's so amazing is, it's hot in the wintertime in this auditorium. People are falling asleep at 69 degrees. And if I dare get the temperature under 75 degrees in the summertime, people are shivering and putting on sweaters and coats. Uh, we're all about our comfort, aren't we? But what is the ministry that we have? That ministry is beholding God's glory in this book until it changes us. And then people can see the difference. That's the ministry. To take God's glory from off the pages of this book and let someone else see that. If you want to lead somebody to Salvation in Jesus Christ, that's the best way to do it, isn't it? You know, what's the world love to do with Christians? Well, you're a Christian, you should act better than that. They, they just love that. And sometimes they're right, 
And most of the time, they're just being jerks. And what do you have to do? Well, shouldn't we expect that from unsaved people? Hello? Yeah? And listen, we are changed into the image from glory to glory. This is the ministry is helping people that cannot understand the truth in this word to see it lived in our lives. You know what? If we're busy about getting God's glory into our life and showing it to others, how in the world can you get discouraged and quit? Hello? If you're so full of Jesus, it's like the little boy, I think I've used this many times, he he was trying to figure this thing out of Jesus living in his heart, and he said, Daddy, how big was Jesus? He said, well... Uh, What do you mean? Jesus is God. He's everywhere. No, no. When he walked on the earth, how big was he? Well, he was was just a normal-sized man, son. Well, I don't get what you're getting at. And he says, well, he would be a whole lot bigger than me being a little boy, right? And uh, his dad said, well, yes, of course. He he was a full-grown man. He may have been shorter. We don't know. But he was at least five feet tall, we would think. And and there was nothing abnormal. They, they all, and he said, but, but dad, but dad, if Jesus was a full grown man and I'm a little boy and he's living on the inside, shouldn't he be sticking out? And we need to be reminded about that. It's a very humorous way of putting it, but that's what this verse is talking about. That's the ministry. And I'll I'll challenge you. That's a challenge to my heart as I was looking through this thing and say, wow. You know, sometimes we get so wrapped up in what we're trying to do, we forget that we have a ministry of service to the world in which we live to show them Jesus. Now, how does that happen? Well, what's the next phrase? Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have what? Receive mercy. Now, how do you get mercy? Is not mercy given to the defeated by the victor? Amen? How many of us have been defeated? Raise your hand if you're alive, because you have been. The devil wins much more than he ought to. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The devil would love to have you wallow in the cemetery of forgiven sins. You know what? No Christian belongs there. Where do we belong? Living in His mercy. You see, the next verse, as we read verse 2 here, it says, But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And... Here is the fact, is we have received mercy. 
We have a ministry to show people Jesus Christ. And God has forgiven us and what he wants us to do is walk in the right direction. But how do we do that? By receiving mercy. What does that mercy do? It causes us to lay aside those things that are sinful. It causes us to try to be honest all the way through. Amen? To renounce those things that are in our lives that would hinder that image of Jesus from shining through. If we were near as nearly concerned with God's mercy and the ministry that he has given us as we were at being discouraged at all the things the devil's doing around us, we wouldn't be near so worried about things because our focus would not be on all the rotten things that's going on. It would be on trying to help people understand the goodness of Jesus Christ. Now, let's skip down to verse 16, and this thing is there again. In, in the same chapter, it says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Now, which cause do we faint not? Which, which cause is he talking about that will keep us from fainting? First of all, we got prayer. We have the ministry, we have mercy that God has given us. Well, let's just go back. Verse 14. Verse thir- let's get 13. We have the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. You know what Paul was telling the Corinthians? He's saying, the same God that raised Jesus up is going to raise me up. It's going to raise you up. You know what? That puts us in a pretty good company, doesn't it? Amen? You see, that's why we can't faint. It's because Jesus is coming back. We are going to be resurrected. This life is not everything. It's only the beginning. Amen? And then we go on and we have the assurance of God's resurrection. And verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. What was the first step in Romans chapter 1 to perdition? Neither were they thankful. That's the first step to perdition. You know what? God wants us to be thankful. You know, there are so many things that happen. My first response is not thankfulness. How about you? 
I mean, when that inspector came through, he's going, wow, perfect. Yeah, well, this is great. I, I like this. Yeah, no, no, we'll have no problems here. Uh, this is really good. And, and then he calls back an hour later. Here's your, uh, here's your uh, service date. September 25th. That means a whole other month that we're going to have because of timing. We've got to file other things. And so, and I'm going... Wait a minute. And then I'm going, well, just a minute. How much work do we have to do yet? I need to be thankful that God's in control and not me. Amen? I need to understand that God will turn this thing to His glory if I don't get discouraged. And if, if I stop being thankful, I'm going to lose that. I can't. If I keep thanksgiving and my faith focused on the fact that Jesus, I'm going to stand before God one day. He is going to judge us. The same God that resurrected Jesus is going to resurrect this body. And we're going to stand before Jesus Christ and we're going to give an account. What, what's somebody going to answer when Jesus said, why did you quit on me? Why did you faint? What answer can you give the Lord that not only went through Calvary's cross, but went through the empty grave for you and I? That's why he ends this chapter. We'll just pick up this verse here. These last two verses, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So in this chapter, we're told we have ministry, mercy, thanksgiving, and we're renewed day by day because God's not given up on us. Even death cannot stop the Christian from serving God. Amen? And so, we got one more passage here. And we'll try to get finished on time. I think we will. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, this is something that, that we need to remember. Exhortation. Now, exhortation is what the Bible says. What... Uh, the preaching of God's Word. We, we are exhorted by God's Word here. And let's just read verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll read down through uh, verse 11. It says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. 
Now no chastening for the present time seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You know, sometimes God has to correct us. If you're a parent, you have to correct your children. In fact, the cruelest thing you can do as a parent for your children is not to correct them. Because they will grow up expecting all the world to fall down and do whatever they ask. And I always ask this question, how many of you work with someone who was raised in a home with no correction? Uh, It's not a pleasant thing. uh, Because... They expect everyone to do what they want to do. They are the most important person in the whole wide world. Well, you see, as a Christian, I I have other things that are more important. It's Jesus Christ. Amen? But sometimes, just as a good parent has to stop aberrant behavior in the life of their child, so God must stop behavior that is not befitting a Christian in our lives. He must correct us. Expect God's correction. How many of you have ever had a really mean teacher in school? And they would just give you your term paper back and say, this is garbage. You you rewrite this paper. And you went home and said, I'm going to prove that I'm... And you go back and the teacher takes a paper. Now, this is what I expected from you. And all of a sudden you realize the teacher wasn't being mean. The teacher just wasn't going to be satisfied with slop. They wanted me to exert some effort. If you've ever had that happen, that's a wonderful thing. You know what? That's what God does. He's not satisfied with the best that we can. How many of you say, well, that's the best I can do. God's never satisfied with the best you can do. Because if it's not the best that He can do, it's not good enough. And so God has got to get us out of the way. And that process is sometimes painful, isn't it? As we say by to ourselves, the number one lesson that we need to learn in the Bible is the death of self. If you're dead, you can't quit. If Christ is living in you, you don't have any option but forward. Amen? And these are the things that the Bible gives us to keep us from fainting. We really have no excuse. Because you're not supposed to give up hope. You're supposed to give that situation to God in prayer. Amen? You have a ministry that is much more important than your personal comfort at showing Jesus Christ. And as we show Jesus Christ, we've got to get rid of ourselves. Therefore, we've got to go get mercy. Amen? And we have to understand that God is in control and we need to be thankful and we need to have Him renew us. And when all of those things fail, we just got to rely on the old written Word of God. Hey, you have no option to quit. God is trying to straighten you out. He is trying to make you fit for heaven. 
you know, the world has a saying. Well, you're just so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. Well, how much longer are you going to be in heaven than here on earth? I'd much rather be that way than to be so earthly minded I'm no heavenly good. And we need to get there. But there are some rewards that are attached to not feigning. Let's go to Galatians 6, 9, a famous passage. Most of us know this by now. But it doesn't hurt for us to just take a moment and review this. Verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, there's the admonition. You know, I've often tried to paint this story so especially young Christians will understand. You... You're living your life in the world and against God. Guess what you're doing? You're planting bad seed. Just because you get saved doesn't necessarily mean that God's going to plow all that bad seed under. Some of it's going to come to harvest. And just about the time you think you got things going, you're going to get clobbered with something from the past. And so what do most people do? Well, they just give up on God and go plant more bad seed. And the devil just loves to keep you in that repeating harvest of bad deeds. You know how you break it? You don't faint. You keep planting the good seed even when bad things are happening. And what's going to happen? Hey, the good harvest is going to come in. The world is full of stories of people who quit. Six inches short of the finish line. Most graduates, most people who quit college quit in the last semester. I don't know how many people I've met over the years that are PAs, public accountants, because they never could master taking the test to get that C put in front of it. Certified public accountant. How many people have gone through law school and never passed the bar exam? Uh, How many people graduated Bible college and never served God? Listen. It says it will reap in due season... If we faint not. You know what you have to do? You have to trust God. That he will bring you to that season of harvest. And he will. Because, first of all, if you're going to please God, what is it? You must believe that he is. Amen. And that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is. And God is good. God is never anything but good. Even when we feel bad, God is still being good. That's how we think not. Amen? 
and we get to that reward, if you've ever reaped some of that harvest, it, it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then let's go to, just turn over a page or two in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 and, and verse 13. Paul says this, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Now, Paul, when he wrote this letter to the Ephesians, was in jail. Had no prospects of getting out. Didn't know what was going on. He said, don't faint because of what I'm going through. Because what I'm going through right now is furthering your faith in God. How many of you remember we just went through the book of Philippians? And what did Paul say? He said, some have taken my testimony of being in prison, and they've been more bold in preaching the gospel. That's what Paul was expecting the Ephesians to do. Amen? And if Paul could go through that, what is our excuse for quitting for the little pittance of suffering that we face? That's, that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, listen, there is glory involved here. Glory to God. And look at verse... Let's just start in verse... 16, Paul is praying for the Ephesians here. He says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Couldn't we spend all night on that verse alone? Paul's praying that we're strengthened in the inner man by the spirit of God. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. How many of you say, I could use a little bit of that in my life. I could use more of that in my life. Well, let me tell you, that's one of the rewards of not fainting. Verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory, where? In the church. Amen. By Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. You see, you never really know. You're going to miss that relationship that God wants. If you were here Sunday night, we talked about the intimacy that God wants with His church. You're going to miss that if you faint. If you faint not, you're going to enjoy. You're going to understand God's love. You're going to grasp these things that the world cannot comprehend. And we go one more passage here, Revelation chapter 2, and we've covered this rather thoroughly a couple weeks ago uh, on Sunday morning. And so we're just going to touch here. Uh, Jesus commended the church at Ephesus in verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patient. Um, oh, there we go. Verse 3, and hast borne and hast patience for my name's sake and hast labored. And has not fainted. He said, listen, Ephesian church. You just kept at it. 
Now, what was the reward of the Ephesian church? Eternal life. You see, we do not endure. We do not faint or keep going, I should say. We do not not faint. How do you say that? But anyway, we don't quit because it's Jesus living in us. This is not something that a privileged few obtain in order to gain special favor by Jesus. This is the false teaching of the false cults, is that you can obtain this by your efforts and your work. If you, if you could serve God with human effort, then why did Jesus die on the cross? He died on the cross because we can't do it. If you want to endure, that's Sermon on the Mount, one of the, or um, I'm sorry, the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24, it says, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now, commentators, they have lots of fun with that. They go really nuts. But it's this simple. If you have Jesus living in you, how can you faint? You know what? We go back to First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter four. We're distressed. I mean, we're uh, persecuted, but we're not forsaken. He goes through all of those things. It doesn't mean that life is just absolutely wonderful all the time, and we go around with a big smile. But I'll tell you what: you never have to faint as a Christian. You have all these protections that are there. You have these rewards that are promised. And it is the presence and the power of Jesus that will carry us through. Can we say amen to that? You see, it's easy to take your eyes off Jesus. Just like Peter did in the storm. But you know, it was hard to doubt holding Jesus' hand on the way back to the boat. Amen? And we need to understand that he's walked this way before us. He's going to keep us if we will not faint. And if you have Jesus living in your heart, there's absolutely no reason in this world to faint. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We ask that you would take this little study as we've just walked through the pages of your word. And Lord, that you would encourage us to get rid of our discouragement. To stop allowing the world and all of